0: This is the beginning of the second. Those of you who are continuing on from the first can renew your eight precepts. And for those who uh, have just come, I will go through these eight precepts again and then give them to you formally. Can you hear? Is it all set up for your? You're all wired up. <laughs> <laughs> now,
1: for
0: those of you who were on the previous retreat it's a good time also to reflect on the the form of a precept as a uh, you know to see how it to see what you've learned from it so far Now we're using for the meditation retreat what the kind of precept that are conducive towards uh, spiritual development, uh, in which you're, you're, say, your, your attention is directed inward rather than, say, your attention being pulled outward all the time. Now, most of the time, our, they, they, our lives are constant kind of being pulled out of ourselves, to look at this, listen to that, read, watch television, eat, talk with people, and our mind is being pulled outward into objects. Like if you go sightseeing, you'll feel your attention always being pulled out by the scenery. You listen to music, or talk, chat, read books, all this. Consciousness has been absorbed into objects of sense. Now for meditation, the the goal of our practice for Buddhist meditation is Nibbana. Now Nibbana or Nirvana sounds terribly uh, kind of exotic or impossible for those you who might have read about it in a book or heard the word, but what it really means is the unconditioned, which is something that we, we don't look for outside. We won't be able to see it with our eye, or it's not a sound that you hear with the organ of your ear, or smell, taste, touch, or create with your mind. The practice of inclining to nirvana means that we, we uh, prepare ourselves in a way in which our senses will be as little uh, unnecess- will be unnecessarily have, uh, stimulated, in which we will be able to uh, concentrate our attention, compose ourselves on our, what's going on inside our mind. So our meditation practice is more like an inner listening, listening, watching. So we want as little kind of sensory distraction as possible, just for this ten-day retreat. So we we don't watch television, listen to the radio, we don't read books. We keep a noble silence, and we we uh, don't uh, we don't. We don't have to talk or entertain each other with fascinating, interesting conversations. We don't have to uh, uh, seek each other for romantic affairs. We we aren't getting caught up in playing games. We aren't going to play football, tennis, ping pong or anything. (laughs) Bridge, chess, poker. (laughs) <laughs> we're not going to to eat all day long we have certain designated meal time and we don't have to go around trying to look for something to eat and uh, refrain from going to the pub or the beer hall or taking um drugs, such as marijuana, heroin, and opium, LSD, these kinds of things, drugs that uh, we could easily escape, uh, get our consciousness off into, when we get bored with looking at what's going on in, the, in our mind. Sometimes when you have to sit with yourself without anything to do, it can be pr- pretty um, rather uh, miserable (laughs) (laughs) to have to be with your own mind for a while you'd rather be with somebody else's mind or something that is more interesting than our own particular habits and conditions but in this practice also we are developing a firm patience and ability to endure so, we have to endure things that before we wouldn't endure, where well, we would tend to run away and escape into something else. Now, we're going to try to at least endure a little longer. We're going to stay in certain postures so that we're not going to try to seek comfort all the time, but just sitting comfortably, but not luxuriously. Sleeping, but not uh, just escaping into sleep all the time, certain times to sleep. Sitting, standing, walking, basic postures. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down. We're going to practice the concentration on our own breath, normal breath, recognizing our postures so of sitting, standing, walking, lying down. And keeping these precepts. Now, the first, when I give these precepts, it's in the Pali language, so I will explain them to you so that you will know what you're saying, what you're vowing. So, first of all, we we chant the the salutation to the Buddha, Namo Tassa Bhagavato which means a kind of praise. Salutation to the Arahant, the Blessed One. It's a traditional Theravada kind of salutation before anything begins. Then you take the three refuges. This is what, this is a, the traditional way of, of um, being a Buddhist, is taking the three refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. I take refuge in Buddha, in the Dhamma, and in the Sangha. Putang Sanangachami, Tamang Sanangachami, Sankang Sanangachami. Saranangachami means refuge. And Putang Tamang saṅkhaṁ, Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So taking refuge in Buddha, you say Putang Sanangachami, this is your taking refuge in wisdom. Now, taking refuge in wisdom means using wisdom. So this is the whole point of this retreat, really, is to use wisdom in it, not to just kind of sit here in a habitual manner and wait for something to kind of zap you from outside and enlighten you, but it's to, uh, for you to arouse wisdom in your practice during this time. So, taking refuge in Buddha means to, it's a very practical thing, it's not just a a kind of exotic uh, oriental uh, phrase in which you repeat just uh, for the sake of tradition, it actually has an important meaning. It's a reflection, a recollection for you to remind yourself to be wise, to take refuge in wisdom. Then, uh, tamang serananga dhamma, is the truth. So the, the word dhamma or dharma, the ultimate reality. Now that's not something separate either. So when you take refuge in dhamma, you're not exactly taking refuge in some belief in a supreme being, but in the truth here and now. Because the Dhamma, the ultimate truth, is imminent now. So it's a verbal recognition of the ultimate reality that is that is imminent now in in all of us. So that the Dhamma or the ultimate truth, the Buddha is the personification of wisdom, the Dhamma has no personification, has no personal qualities. Buddha, you see, they can make Buddha images. They can make them look like human beings. Like, see, this little image is shaped like a, a human being. They can't make dharma images. They can't make a, a dharma... Well, you, they use symbols like wheels or uh, various symbols that kind of mean dharma, but they're never personifications. They're never, They're not... Beings of any sort. Then Sangha in the Sangha means Sangha means those who practice the, the Dharma, those who live by the Dharma, those who take refuge in the Buddha. Like you, and like myself. Human beings, men and women who practice the teaching of the Buddha are called the Sangha. The Sangha means Those who practice virtue, who live a good life practicing what is good, doing good, refraining from doing evil, who are sincere in what they're doing and earnest. Uh, So you're taking refuge in that in yourself also, which is sincere and good and earnest, not that in you which is foolish, uh, worried, frightened, greedy, and so forth. You're not taking refuge in those things. you're taking refuge in a practical way, reminding yourself to, to use courage, goodness, uh, diligence, all these for your practice of meditation, in practical situations as being a human being living here at this in this place, in this country. So Sankan Sanangaanga means taking refuge in that in yourself which is virtuous and good. (coughs) So the refuges are merely ways of reminding ourselves to seek our refuge in wisdom, truth, and virtue. Rather than seeking our refuge, people generally seek refuge now in Swiss banks, (laughs) in modern technology, refuge in others, seeking safety or... Security and some kind of uh, relationship to someone else. Seeking refuge in in uh, worries, people will just spend all day worrying. But these are all very inadequate refuges. They're not like they're not refuges. Refuges are safe places to be, and those aren't safe. They always lead to despair, sorrow, death. So the three refuges. Of the Buddhist are, they are truly refuges, places of safety. Now, the eight precepts begin with Banadi uh, Bhatta, which means refrain from intentionally killing anyone. So, during these next ten days, if you'll kindly refrain from killing anybody here. <laughs> otherwise you'll break break the precept (laughs) Uh, but also it means uh, intentionally killing beings so don't kill the rats, the ants, the flies the cats or any other so refrain from intentionally killing Then the second is refraining from taking anything that is not given. So, not to steal, not to take, not even to look at, uh, touch other people's possessions. So, you know, just remember to kind of not, just leave things alone, unless you, you know, there's something that you really need and ask for it, or if it's yours, or if it's part of the community. But to refrain from even, like, you're sharing rules, to to just borrow or take things that belong to other people. Even though you have no intention of stealing, just refrain from just touching things that belong to others. It's good practice. Then uh, the third is refraining from any kind of sexual conduct erotic behavior intentional kind of uh, erotic behavior so that uh, we'll keep uh, the vow of celibacy during this next uh, ten days then the the fourth is refraining from uh, using vain speech lying gossip and so forth but this will be noble silence so it's uh, It's a, uh, that one is quite well covered. So, but noble silence doesn't mean that you can speak if, like if, if when I ask you a question, you can answer it, When you have an interview or something, you can talk to me. If the house catches on fire, you can yell for help. (laughs) If you have if you have a problem with anything and you, you need something then you can talk to Martina and um, or who's the I'm allowed to talk to you. Or Maria.
1: Maria time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But uh, don't
0: don't go and just use any old excuse to talk to Maria. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh-uh. Then I uh, also remember in noble silence, <coughs> that uh, people are trying to keep it so, but sometimes it's very difficult if somebody else talks to us who. We have to be very, we feel that we're rude if we don't answer. So remember to be responsible for not drawing somebody into conversation that maybe they they really don't want to be part of, but, but you might unconsciously do that, and respect the rights of those around you in their attempts to keep silence. Watch the impulse to want to talk, because speaking, talking is a great release of a lot of uh, repressed feelings. So, Like when people in ordinary life uh, have a lot to complain about. Complaining is, is a way of releasing tension. So that when we when we can't complain about something, when we're, we're quiet, we find maybe all these tensions arising. <laughs> so and that's what you want. You want, them, you want to look at these things rather than just habitually uh, uh, just follow the habits of your lifetime. You want to see the way your mind works and what you've been doing uh, during your life so you can understand. So that we, we're limiting ourselves in this way so that we can't just follow habit. We have to kind of stop and say, well, I can't do that now. I've taken these precepts. So And then watch what happens so that you begin to observe the conditions of your mind and let them go so that you're, through mindfulness, you're letting things go in a skillful way rather than just a habitual, heedless way. You're learning how to skillfully let things go rather than just habitually repress and carry on in ways that that keep uh, binding us to suffering. Then the fifth precept is to refrain from taking drugs, uh, like the hallucinogenic drugs and, and uh, addictive drugs and drink, like spirits and alcohol and so forth. Then uh, this is so that your uh, people also let off a lot of repression through drinking. One way I suppose Switzerland, as is, is much people drink as much as they do in England, uh, people have to drink because uh, alcohol allows you to uh, say all the things you wouldn't dare say when you're sober. <laughs> <laughs> So in in uh, all societies, everywhere in the world, drinking is an important kind of part of it. It Really, it's kind of a safety valve for most people, in which they they can kind of relax and then say and act in ways that they wouldn't dare be able to do if they were not inebriated or under the influence of alcohol or drugs. (laughs) But now we are trying to. Release tensions and repression through wisdom and watching, rather than because <clears throat> drinking drugs that is unskillful. It just uh, makes you addicted and caught up, and you don't get any wisdom from it. then the the, the last three, the, the the sixth precept is Wipo, uh, which means uh, regarding food, being more disciplined in regards to food. So that just accept the, meat, the food that is offered at the designated times, rather than seeking food, going to restaurants, uh, having supplies of food, munching away on this and that, so that you can, don't spend your time just looking for distraction through eating. That's another way that we distract ourselves when we get bored, depressed, is to start eating things. So accept just the, the food that's given here and uh, watch your mind. The, the food has been superb, actually. <laughs> it's hard to watch one's mind when watching the food. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> then the, uh, the next one is a long one, not <laughs> the That's not English. Allows <laughs> <laughs> to refrain from dancing, singing, playing games, uh, wearing cosmetics and spending your time having your hair curled. Polishing your nails.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: Dressing up in, in uh, fancy dress and so forth. Refrain from getting involved in, in uh, that kind of activity and uh, game playing So this is the kind of the one that you can't you can't do anything fun rule. So you're not allowed to have a good time here. Mahasayana Ujjasayana Mahasayana is refraining from uh, sleeping in inappropriate times, seeking uh, to escape through sleeping on high luxurious beds or extreme comfort, so that you uh, just accept the sleep- sleeping place you've been given and uh, try not to spend the day sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> sleep is another way out of everything, isn't it? One of our favorite ways is to just crash out and forget. If you can't eat, you can't sing and dance, you you can't uh, have sex, you can't take drugs, you can't do anything, then you can go to sleep. Well, there's a precepts. so you're sure you want to take these <laughs> 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 uh, well this is the form it's a renunciate form <coughs> it's for what they call seminars uh, seminars are are those who are intending towards a spiritual goal so seminar are Our precepts are to always, say, guide one, to contain one's desires, to direct that energy that would go out into these other things towards spiritual development. So the eight precepts, like a container, it kind of holds you, keeps you from going out every which way. Like living here together, many people in one building, we can live very easily with each other because we're not... We're not demanding very much from each other, and so we have time for spiritual practice. If we were, if we had, if we didn't have the precepts, then it would be each person wanting to do what he or she wanted to do, which would affect. If we couldn't agree on, on the form we were going to use, we'd have just chaos, anarchy. This person would want to do this, and this person would want to do that, and there'd be arguments, quarrels. Who would have time for a meditation? <laughs> so we we all all of us agree to follow, contain ourselves within this form, uh, so that we can all live t- uh, this time together uh, and support each other in our spiritual life. Because not many, most people don't have an opportunity to spend, say, ten days uh, just inclining to Nibbana, to developing a spiritual life. As you well know, in lay life, there's so many things pulling you out into the worldly conditions all the time. So here we're trying to create an atmosphere and give you the opportunity to where you're not having to... You know, the, 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 the kind of tensions and demands made on you are not the kind that will be be pulling you out, but the, they will be the kind that will be encouraging you to look inward, to watch, be aware. Ah, uh, could you ask for the eight precepts?
2: Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> mayan Bhante Isaranena Saha Asa Silani Asyama Suti Ampi Mayan Isaranena Saha Asa Silani yashana. Tatyampi mayangante disaranena saha atasilaniyajama.
0: Now if you put your hands together. Be your parents to the eight precepts. Repeat
2: after me. Namo Tattva. Namo Arahato. Some are some putasa. Some are some putasa. Namotasa. Namotasa. Arahato. Arahato. Sangat sembuh darah. Butang. Butang butang. Dari nangka cami. Dari nangka Tamang. Tamang. Serenanga Shami, Dutiyampi Yumpy, Duty Yumpy, Dummang,
1: Serenanga
2: Charmy, Serenanga Shami, Duty Yumpy, Duty Yumpy, Sangang, Serenanga Charmy, Serenanga Shami, Dutty Yumpy, Duty Yumpy, Bootang, Serenanga Charmy, Tati Yampi. Dhamman. Taranang. Sarangachami. Tatiyampi. Sankham Sankan. Saranangachami.
0: So now you have taken the three refuges.
2: And now the precepts. bhana di bhata. 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 Varamani. Sekha padam, sekha padam, samadhi yami, samadhi yami, adinadana, adinadana, varamini, varamini, sekha padam, sekha padam, samadhi yami, samadhi yami, <coughs> abramacharya. Veramani, Veramani, the Kabadang, the Kabadan, the Madi army, the Madi army, Mutawada, the Veramani, the Kabadang, the Madi army, the Madi Machabama. Tatana Tatana Varamani Varamani Sikabadang Sikabadang Samadyami Samadhyami Vikalapotana Veramani Veramani Samadhyami Najakita Najakita Vatita Vitsuka Tassana Malakanta Malakanta tasanā mālā vīlebanā tārana tārana mantana mantana vipūtana tāna vipūtana tāna vairamani vairamani sikabhadang huja-sayanā Uyatayana. Mahasayana. 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 Vermani. Vermani. Sika badang. Sika badang. Samadhiyami. Samadhiyami. Imani. Imani. Atatika badani. Atatika badani. Samadhiyami. Samadhiyami. There. No. <laughs> or oh, in the. In the
0: uh, form of the, you're now in the samana vehicle. You're riding in the samana vehicle. <laughs> a vehicle is like a car, isn't it? Like to carry you somewhere, so that you're you. If you if you <laughs> you have a good vehicle, then you can kind of depend on it, and you don't have to spend your time doing all kinds of things, or getting lost on the path. It's just put yourself in a good vehicle, and then it takes you to where you're going, and you just can sit and watch. So now, you're in this eight-precept vehicle, and now, now the real practice is to sit and watch, stand and watch, walk and watch, lay down and watch, be mindful. Now, the vehicle itself, you don't have to, whether you like it or not doesn't matter, whether you approve of it, all of it, it doesn't matter, because you're watching your mind. Not, it's not up to you to, to try to get the, say, if you're riding in a, in a, in a Renault or or uh, something, and you say, I don't want a Renault, I want a Rolls-Royce or a Mercedes. Just, just ride in this one that you're in now and see if, it, see if it gets you anywhere. than <laughs> thinking, I'd rather have another one. If you do think that, then watch that. Recognize the conditions of your mind. The discontentment, the struggle, the resistance. Now, in any kind of restrictive form, there's going to be natural resistance to it. When you're in, in uh, say, keeping precepts, Keeping silent. They have a schedule, you get up in the morning and, and then sit for, and then do these various things. Everything is kind of ordered and uh, everything is, is itemized. And they do this at this time, this time at that time. And so there's resistance to that too. So recognize, you want to look at that resistance, you want to recognize that only for ten days, so you have a chance to watch suffering and then how the mind kind of resists authority or a structure imposed on Now this is important because we need to uh, learn to surrender, to relax, to let go, as long as this, the form is not based on any kind of exploitive or evil action. So you're not asked to do you're, you're all based on morality, on what is considered moral by wise people in the in the world, so that we we're, we're not you'll not be asked to do anything that would be immoral or evil or cruel, anything like this if 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 our venerable Na asks you to kill somebody, steal something, then you say, "I'm sorry, <laughs> venerable tomato, I would break my precepts. <laughs> so it's your it's kind of your protection from the from, from unscrupulous gurus <laughs> uh. <laughs> if If we ask you to break your precepts, do you say, no <laughs> that's your that's your that's your uh guideline you're right and so the rest of it, like the meditation the the schedule, all this is based on the precepts to to keep that form so what I, you know what you do now is watch your mind like like any feeling of resentment of authority or being told what to do or having to conform to something that you didn't design yourself. And we have to conform our activities to something imposed on us from, from someone else. We feel a resistance or aversion arising. When we, like sitting in meditation when you can't, when you, when you can't get up when you want to or so forth, you feel aversion arising. Uh, Sometimes we resent, uh, like I used to feel that a lot in Thailand, uh, when I went to uh, stay with Ajahn Chah. He used to make me sit for hours like this, this kind of, the Thais like to sit in this, this polite posture. In my, you know, I found it very uh, painful, to sit like this for five minutes and he used to make us sit for something like two or three hours like that. My knees would be, I'd be going, uh, getting really angry, (laughs) and I noticed, I noticed that that I I directed that anger at him. I used to sit there and I used to just feel such hatred for him. And then I would think, I'm not going to stay here. I don't have to do this. I'll show him. I'm going to leave. (laughs) 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 Uh, But I didn't. I watched that. I watched that kind of aversion and anger. Well, pain. When you're in pain, you get angry. If you can't, you know, or when you're in a, put in a a position where you can't do what you want, or you feel you can't do, or you're you're afraid of what others will think, or you're trying to, you know, there's so many things here that we can learn from, from living in a a community, from having authority figures, monks and lay people, from having disciplined rules and and a disciplined life. Where and where we can't get drunk, can't complain about things. We can't uh, distract ourselves with television or games. So we come and we sit together, stand together, walk together, eat together, and all this, but we we watch. So we are bringing our attention to our mind, what goes on inside us, because we're trying to watch what happens to us rather than just Follow habit, you're studying habit, you're watching it, listening to it. So you begin to have a perspective on the conditioning that you've acquired up to now. So this form isn't just a kind of reconditioning process. We're not trying to make you into Buddhist or into any, we're not trying to make you believe in anything. There's nothing that you have to believe in. Like the three refuges of uh, Buddha Dhamma Sangha isn't a belief, it's a practical kind of statement of one's intentions to be wise, to use wisdom, to take refuge in what is the truth and in virtue. But it's not a kind of, it's not a like Buddhist belief. So you're not asked to believe in Buddha or believe in any kind of Buddhist teachings, but to take the teachings and use them in order to watch and learn and listen. So the Buddhist meditation teachings are all uh, designed to kind of get you to look at yourself. Ways of per- perceiving, ways of watching, so that you begin to understand that the Buddha wisdom is the simple wisdom that all that arises passes away. And if it arises and passes away, it's not yours. It's not what you are. You're not a condition that arises and passes away. Then you say, well, then what am I? And this is the ultimate question. (coughs) Maybe by the end of the retreat or somewhere, you might actually begin to know who you are. (laughs) <laughs> but you have to. Only, you can only know who you are when you know what you're not. So we start. Then we start with examining what we are not, and this is what we're doing when we're seeing the the, the conditions of our bodies and minds, feelings, thoughts, memories, opinions, views. All these are conditioned. They're conditioned into you. They're not ultimate realities. They're conditioned into you by your society, family. So that where we take them quite, we quite believe in them as being our personalities, ourselves. Now we're looking at them not as our personal kind of possessions, but as conditioned perceptions. We're breaking through this habitual grasping of perception to understand the truth, to begin to recognize the ultimate truth, which is always here and now, but which we don't recognize because we're so busy with all these conventional things, caught up in our feelings, in our emotions, in our uh, habits, likes and dislikes, and uh, fears, doubts, and worries. Who has time to ever recognize anything other than just being caught up in the momentum of habit? Until you take time, you have to make the time. You have to turn to the truth. You have to. Make, it doesn't. The truth doesn't come and and zap you. No. Not just truth, like God standing up there and saying, "Wake up, you so and so." you have to turn you have to look, you have to listen you have to put forth the effort yourself so that's what we mean by practice uh, meditation, being mindful mindfulness is really a turning to the truth it's not a rejection of the world it's not that you're going to pass judgment on the world and reject it and say, I don't, I don't want anything more to do with the world, don't like it, <laughs> and go off and live in a kind of special celestial realm. That's what, That doesn't happen. But you're seeing the world as it really is, rather than as you perceive it, as you've been conditioned to perceive the world. You're using wisdom rather than desire in your life. All of you have wisdom. There's not one person here that is lacking wisdom. It's just a matter of using that all. Now meditation is completely different attitude is necessary than that worldly attitudes you you have in your mind like when you you come here you you have your mind's conditioned to say think in all the attitudes of your of your worldly habits which might be all right for worldly conditions but do not but are obstacles for dharma for the truth so take the the worldly habit of thinking If I practice now, hard, then sometime in the future I will become something. It's like going to university. If I study diligently in three or four years, I will attain my university degree, which is true on a conventional level, isn't it? You have, we all have been through that. You don't start out with a university degree. You start out with doing something and going along for a few years to attain it. That's that's the world. That's the the world of birth and death. Of division, of discrimination. Now, the, the, the the attitude of a worldly person is one of doing something and expecting a result in the future. So that worldly people are always expecting things. They think, I have to do this now. I have to get rid of my lazy habits, and I have to get rid of all my bad things in order to become this kind of saint in the future. So, we oftentimes live our lives in this kind of, always trying to get rid of things. We see weaknesses, faults, uh, fears, and all this, and we're trying to get rid of those things because they're, they're inhibiting, causing us, so, that we're, uh, a lot of misery blocking us in our pursuit of happiness or success, worldly success. So, in, in order to be really happy, you have to get rid of unhappiness. And this is the worldly attitude. Now, the Dharma attitude of, for meditation is rather than doing something now to attain something in the future, it's, it's a being like being wise now using wisdom now not doing not meditating now hopefully to gain wisdom by the end of the retreat (laughs) that's a world here that doesn't help really what you need to develop to just now reflect on this attitude of now being using wisdom meaning being aware, looking at the conditions that you that arise in your consciousness. Now, re- be, using wisdom now doesn't mean you're going to become wise in the future. It means you're being wise now. So it's an attitude of being rather than of becoming. So Buddhist meditation is a very direct kind of practice. It's even being enlightened now. And you think, if you read Buddhist books too much, you think, "Oh, I would there's no chance for enlightenment in this lifetime. you have to, it's so difficult to do that you know you'll probably have to be reborn, I don't know how many more times before you ever get even near to it. That's how books tend to make it sound. And even in countries like Thailand and Sri Lanka, they talk like that. Some monks in Thailand will even say, there's no point in even trying now. The, the day is gone. The the day that era where people were enlightened is is over. Now this is the Kali Yuga. This we can only just hope to be maybe reborn again in in a in a deva realm or something. So they people monks and when Ajahn Chah would hear this, hear monks talk like this, he said, well then why did you ordain? Why did you ordain as a monk? Because when you ordain as a monk, you say, "I ordain as a monk to go to nibbana." So it's a direct thing. You're going, inclining to nibbana. The whole point of a monastic life of a Buddhist monk is to incline to nibbana. It's not, to be reborn in the next life as a devadah. <laughs> This is where a traditional religion is really, you know, has lost the spirit, has lost the essence of Buddhist teaching. Because it makes it sound too difficult, too remote a possibility, something that takes lifetimes of being reborn into this and that before you can ever possibly be enlightened. But if you really understand Buddhist teaching, it's not. It's not the Buddha didn't teach like that at all. It, it's not becoming enlightened, it's being enlightened. So it's always being. It's not finding Buddhas, but being Buddha, being wisdom. It's not thinking you're Buddha, but it's being that Buddha wisdom. This is a completely different, mind blowing attitude. <laughs> To Western life, you think, "Well, I have to do all kind. I've got these. I've got a bad temper. I'm greedy. I'm, I have a lot of fear. And how can I be a Buddha if I have all these things? I've got terrible habits. I've done some really wretched things in the past. And uh, you know, how can I? How can I ever hope to be a Buddha when I've got? So many faults and weaknesses. So you think like that, you know, it seems hopeless. But being Buddha means being that knowing, knowing those those thoughts as thoughts, those feelings that you somehow have so many faults, so many weaknesses, so many defects that you couldn't possibly hope to ever get near to it in this lifetime. You recognize that's conditions perception that's thinking and that's being Buddha Buddhists know that conditions as the condition that's all Buddhas are very simple beings it's that knowing that the conditions of your mind are conditions of your mind it's not believing that those conditions are yours anymore so you, what you think you are is not is a condition it's not it is a condition of your mind it's thought it's not any it's not the ultimate truth not Buddha. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so in meditation, Buddhist meditation, is that direct. It's actually a being, <coughs> being awake, being mindful, listening, being attentive. So like we sit and we, when we meditate, we, we are going out, playing games, reading books, dancing, singing, drinking, sleeping, Chatting, going out hunting, skiing, fishing, but we're sitting, looking like we sit here. And we can shut our eyes. We don't. We don't have anything to look at. Not much. <laughs> Nobody's dressing up to make themselves incredibly alluring, so that there's no, nobody to really worth looking at. No. <laughs> so. But Monando sitting there aren't worth looking at. (laughs) So there's nothing to bother to look at but yourself. So you're sitting here looking, watching, listening, being attentive to whatever comes, whatever happens. It doesn't matter what it is. If it moves and changes, it's, it's, it's you're aware of it. If it's good, pleasant, or if it's uh, horrible or nasty, uh, if it's a good feeling, if it's, if it's a murderous feeling, like you want to murder me, that's all right. You still just recognize it as a condition. Don't do it, because you've got the precepts.
2: That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> why I have to give these precepts so that you if you feel like murdering me just recognize that as a feeling let it go, don't, don't do it only thing you're, 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 you're free to think what you, what you want What comes up, not what you want but what comes up allow your, your opening the mind to allow things to just appear Things that before you know under certain conditions you think oh I shouldn't be thinking like that you're thinking maybe maybe Ajahn Samedo can read minds you think I'm sitting up here reading everything that's going through your mind
1: <laughs>
0: but I can't read minds so you don't have to worry about it <laughs> so whatever whatever comes up in your mind is you only you know uh, and that's for you to know that that is a condition just to recognize conditions as conditions. You don't have to figure out, why do I think like that? Why do I have thoughts like that? Uh, And then you start to think, well, because when I was a child, my mother dropped me on my head. The concussion always made me, I've always resented that, because now I have this problem. And you just think about yourself again, don't you? So you're, you're, well, this is just bare attention on conditions. One time uh, in uh, London, a woman used when we lived in uh, Hampstead. A woman that used to come there almost every night. She was a middle-aged English woman who who would like to think of herself as a kind of mother, earth mother very maternal kind of woman and she always, you know, the image she had of herself is one that was always loving everybody so she, she always talked about love and loving everything <clears throat> and then one day she came to the Bihara in London and she was really upset and she said, I'm really she said, I don't know what's going on. What's happened to me? Then my, my daughter-in-law, my son's wife, just had a baby. and the first grandchild. And I went to see the baby for the first time, and I picked it up. And this thought came to mind, I want to poke its eyes out. And she said, I was so horrified by this thought that I, I had to leave. And she said, why would I think? A thought like that what's wrong What's what's wrong with me that i would think something like that said, <laughs> well, you didn't do it did you <laughs> and said, well no of course not <laughs> well it's just a thought that comes <laughs> if you try to think out why would i think you start analyzing just recognize that the condition is a thought the thought is a condition it's something you don't do if you have thoughts like, I just don't act on them, let them go. Man also, it's obvious, isn't it? Someone that's trying so desperately to be maternal obviously trying to cover up a lot of hostility. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, then she'll say, if I told her that, she'd start, trying to start <clears throat> thinking about herself a lot, which she already does too much thinks about herself and tries to figure herself out all the time. <laughs> Where the, the real help comes in recognizing conditions and letting them go, not creating complicated complications around things. Recognize that you might have evil thoughts, but just you don't act on them. It's something you refrain from doing. So if you want to steal something, don't go spend the time worrying about being a thief But just recognize that that's something you don't do. Uh, Sexual thoughts, just recognize those are conditions of the mind rather than personal problems. All these things you're recognizing conditions of the mind as conditions rather than as personal problems, personality problems as me and mine, as a a neurotic hang-up, as a terrible... Fault and flaw with me, me and mine. You're not. you not. Don't do that. Don't fall for that anymore. But recognize so that it's a, a genuine opening of the mind, so that you feel freedom to let these things come up into consciousness, because there's a lot that we do not allow ourselves to consciously uh, to, to arise in our consciousness. We have a kind of repressive mechanism that there's a lot that we have to keep away all the time. We can't, we won't allow it to come into consciousness. Now, being conscious of something means to allow something to come up so you see it directly when you're fully conscious of it. But, say, hatred, uh, lust, things like this, a lot of it, we just we never allow into our consciousness. It only comes when we're when we're completely heedless, like drunk or asleep or something. When you're when you're asleep you have oftentimes weird, horrible dreams, don't you? Where I mean really awful things happen. Uh, because you, you're not you're not holding you're not filtering, you're not repressing anything. So in in sleep, what you wouldn't be able to allow in consciousness arises in dreams. So release also, it's a, because it, otherwise, you know, if you don't, they did. I think experiments one time where they'd wake people just before they started dreaming, and they became very, very neurotic.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get through their dreams, which are released, you see. But now, in <clears> meditation, <throat> you're you're releasing the irrational repressed conditions by bringing by in a skillful way by allowing them to come into consciousness and letting them go So that's why the Buddhist teaching of anatta or not self is so helpful because if you don't if you think these are yours then of course there's a lot of things you just couldn't bear to, to identify with of thoughts and feelings that you just you know, you, if you thought, was that, is that what you really are? You'd think you were a really horrible being. <laughs> <laughs> but when you can recognize it's just consciousness, and consciousness, sensory consciousness, is not a person, not a self. It's a condition in nature that is not you, not your, not your, not what you are. Then you're not afraid to allow repressed, Repressed things to arise into consciousness, because when you do that, you let them go. It's the catharsis, the kind of release or purification of the mind. But it's skillful because it's done with wisdom, not with desire or repression. It's done. It's it's done with so that it's always wisdom is the is is being used, and it take and it takes you to the truth. All these things, as you begin to purify the mind, relieve it of all its repressions, open it, cleanse it, you 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 know the true thing. You become you are your true nature, your true self, which is not conditioned, the unconditioned. why, in, in what happens here, is don't be <laughs> like, be quite brave. Allow things, it's an opening, a liberating, even though on one level it looks terribly restrictive. You, know, you, you can't do this, you can't do that, can't talk. <laughs> you're being contained physically and verbally, mentally, you're being freed. Physically you can't do this, you can't do that verbally. You can't if you if you hate if you hate somebody you can't say it. But you can recognize it. So that it's not you're not doing anything to hurt anyone else. Right? But you're not repressing it. So if you hate anybody here, just don't say it. I hate you. But bring it up into consciousness, recognize. Hatred is a condition, and then it let it go. So that uh, you're letting go of aversion <coughs> and hatred without creating <coughs> more habits around it. When you're willing to do that, then your comic patterns begin to cease. Your habitual you know, hang-ups, your obsessions, well, they begin to cease, they begin to fade away. You begin to feel a relief of not being, an, and begin to recognize that you that uh, the kind of, the joy that comes from liberation, of not being just a bound, limited, conditioned creature of habit, a helpless victim of fate. Now, how many of you here have, feel that your lives, uh, you're just kind of hopeless, or that there's that that you're too limited or you're or that you maybe you've ruined your life or that your life is pointless and so forth. they have this is very strong in people because they have not they've not used wisdom so in in the, the talks that i give in the meditation is all to encourage you i can't Make you use wisdom. It's something you have, you have to use. I can't give you wisdom. It's something you have to use, and you do it by, by uh, watching, (coughs) listening, recognizing, being very, very patient, humble, humility, very willing to learn from. Even the nastiest conditions in your mind. Willing to learn the ultimate truth through the most humble kind of conditions, or the, rather than thinking, I've got to have everything, I've got to have the best teacher, the best conditions. For me, I'm the kind of conceit, isn't it? I have to have the very best of everything. <laughs> Say here to see what what you can do under the conditions you find yourself. Hmm. How many of you have 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 you all practiced meditation before? I think so. Is there anyone who's never done any? Examine.